that which is said. That's why he says he only came to fulfill the law and the prophet. He did not come to delete it, and it will not be deleted. It stands forever. Because that is the only way the present-day church can know what constitutes sin and what does not constitute sin. And so, in finishing, beloved people, I want to enter this segment here. There is an article. These are articles that uh, the Spirit of the Lord wrote about, well, three years ago or so, 2015. And one of them that uh, I know now they're being posted on the web everywhere for everyone to have a chance, especially that now the Lord is speaking about righteousness, 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 now and urgent and now. Now, this article here, the one I'm taking, I'm taking only a segment, only a segment of it. It's a very extensive article on the garment that the church ought to wear at this hour. It says the garment of the Lord, what the church ought to know. That garment, you see, defined in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 8, as the righteousness of the church. So you see, I'm reading, let me just read from this article that uh, the Lord compelled me to write. The Spirit of the Lord led me to write this article about uh, three years ago on the righteousness of the church, on the garment she ought to wear now to see the glorious kingdom of eternity. So now, this is a small subsection. It's actually the last subtitle complete the article. But the article is very extensive, very huge. It will take you some, maybe an hour or so to read, or more, depending on your speed. So this subtitle now says, Tabernacle Worship and the Church. And it says, because of what has been discussed above here, above here I talked about the raiment of Aaron. Let me read one of the pieces from the above portion. The above portion says that during the time of Moses, the man of God, when he and the Israelites faithfully consulted and adhered to the instruction that the anointed, skillful men directed, directed Israel, directed the Israelites to execute, they were then able to lay down those specifications on the raiment of the tabernacle and hence to achieve the perfect clothing with which to appear before Jehovah. We all know what the book of Exodus 28, verses 1 to 5 says, that when it was time for Aaron to appear before the Lord, then the Lord now says there is a protocol, that there is a garment. And he instructs Moses that Aaron should separate out with his son, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, that they may be now anointed, consecrated as priests to serve in the office of priests. In other words, to appear before Jehovah. And that is the same place the church is in today. She is in a place where I have given the prophecy that I have seen her appearing before the throne of God and worshipping the Lord. Meaning, that is the prophecy saying that soon the church will appear. But for Aaron, when it was time to appear, and then the Lord talks to Moses to go to the skillful ones, which is Bezalel, there too, Bezalel and his colleague, whom the Lord had given skills, the Spirit of the Lord had descended on them and given them skills to knit the garment of the priest, the garment of Aaron. So he's saying that when the Israelites went to the skillful ones, the skillful men who directed the Israelites, they were then able to attain the tabernacle worship. And he says, that became the most memorable and the most celebrated 
worship in the life of Israel, considering that it brought down the cloud of God's glory upon the mercy seat comma, of the earth of the covenant of Yahweh. And then he finishes that upper piece before he starts our segment. That the church too is highlighted. He says the church too is to take this lesson that is highlighted in the Bible and use it to fully submit under the lordship and the leadership of the Holy Spirit that she too may be able to appear right before the throne of God, meaning to meet all the required benchmarks of God. Now, the portion I want to read for you in finishing tonight is entitled Tabernacle Worship and the Church. So, from the above, so now I can say, I can read it on. It says, from the above discourse, we see that the church today can do with a lot of learning from the manner in which the Levitical garment was prepared in order to install high worship in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a mobile altar of worship where God Almighty Yahweh met Moses, he met with Moses there, and the children of Israel, in order to spell out to them his redemptive agenda for them and for mankind as a whole. That is now what happened when there was high worship. So he's saying that there are some serious lessons the present-day church needs to learn about righteousness from the tabernacle of Moses. And he says, at that tabernacle, the Lord made sure the tabernacle was first of all mobile, but when there was worship, when he descended there, then he was able to meet Moses and meet the Israelites and spell out to them his redemptive plan for Israel and for the whole human race. And he goes on to say, in that way, the tabernacle was always located right in the center of the Israelite camp, comma, because at that time, that was the blueprint of God, and it was then surrounded by the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's saying, in that way, the tabernacle was always located in the center of the Israelite camp and surrounded by the 12 tribes of Israel. And in that way, God Almighty delivered a most important message to mankind through this tabernacle worship. And he says, the message of the Lord located in the tabernacle as it was placed at the center of the Israelite camp was that Jehovah intended, he intended his worship to be the centerpiece of the lives of his people on a daily basis wherever they went for as long as they walked with us. And of course in heaven too. So he's saying, again, precious people, that in God's design and blueprint, and in his wisdom, he designed in such a way that the tabernacle was in the center of the camp, and surrounding the tabernacle were the 12 tribes, and every time, the purpose was that every time they came out of their tent, they looked and saw the tabernacle. Every time you came out of your door, you are sitting in the house, and you looked out, you saw the tabernacle. The tabernacle was hence intended to be a centerpiece of the lives of the Israelites' beloved people. And he's saying, in the same way, 
The tabernacle of worship was established by the Lord in order to demonstrate and clearly illustrate to this generation and to mankind on the holiness agenda of God on the earth. So every time you saw the tabernacle, you stepped out like this, your eyes first hit the tabernacle, and inevitably it hit the holiness agenda of God for Israel, beloved people, and the earth. This was deliberately designed by the Lord Yahweh in order to underscore his desire to draw all mankind close to himself. Therefore, the kind and quality of worship sacrifice that the Lord prescribed as a requirement to meet his heavenly satiation, in other words, heavenly demands, principally expressed the grievous disconnection sin had wrought in the sacred relationship between God and man. So that's a very powerful thing that he's raising there. He's saying that there is so much lesson that the present-day church can borrow from the tabernacle worship, the tabernacle of the Lord that was in the wilderness, the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of God the Israelites moved around with. Because he's saying, first of all, that worship was meant to be the centerpiece of the lives of the present-day believer. Number two, that it was meant to remind them, every time they see the tabernacle, they see worship, it is intended to remind them of the holiness of God, the holiness agenda of God in their lives. And he goes on to say, beloved people, that the kind and the quality of sacrifice that was offered in that tabernacle also bespoke, it bespoke volumes. It spoke something so critical to the present-day church. It spoke then to Israel, and it speaks to us. Because to them, it reminded them of the disconnection that sin had roused, had brought in the sacred relationship between Jehovah, the Lord, and the church, Jehovah, and mankind. That's why the sacrifice was now for propitiation, propitiation, beloved people. It was for appeasing God that there may be a reconciliation. So that reminder rang in their hearts and minds on a daily basis, in their souls. And he's saying, in the same way, that tabernacle worship, because it was pointing on Christ Jesus and the reconciliation he would bring to the present church, it teaches lasting lessons to the present-day church. He's saying, the quality and kind, now he's talking about quality, the quality and kind of worship, worship sacrifice, that the Lord prescribed, demanded, the benchmark he raised there, to be met for heavenly satiation, satisfaction, for heavenly um, uh, requirements, demands, it was principally meant to express the grievous disconnect that sin had brought in the sacred relationship between mankind and God. And that's what should remind us. In fact, the present-day church should always be reminded, whenever they see the cross, to be reminded of the great separation sin had brought between God and mankind and us. And that should cause the church to hate sin. That if sin can rob such an eternal relationship that had no death, rob it of mankind and bring in death and suffering and pain and agony and weeping and groaning and tumors and HIV, diabetes, cancer, leukemia, herpes, hepatitis, what? And bring 
bring in this divorce, what murders, stealing, theft. If sin could do that, could separate the beautiful relationship of peace and fellowship with God, and now bring in all this ugliness of wickedness, then surely the present-day church has no excuse for delving and dwelling in sin. Because it should remind her of the tremendous price Jesus paid to connect back the disconnect that had happened between the sacred, in the sacred relationship between God Almighty and man. So men, the church should hate sin. I don't know why you have all these young ladies walking around the town nude and they belong to churches. They call them what, what, what in this city here. Huh? Nudity, tight trousers, what? Almost vanity, empty, shameful, disgraceful. Huh? Young men behaving funny in the university and calling themselves Christians and all over in the workplaces, women and men. Why? Because he says, if you looked at the tabernacle, or if you look at the cross we have today, it should really vividly remind you of the dangers of sin and how grave the eternal consequences of sin. And it should cause you to hate sin. So I don't even understand. I don't understand this generation, beloved people. And he says, so that now, the previous disconnection that sin wrought in the sacred relationship that had been established between God and man, even the wonderful image and likeness of man, of God that was in man, he says further on that sin had caused the erosion and the depletion of the innocence of mankind and the purity he enjoyed before God. That is what sin did. This is what compelled the Lord Almighty to now set up an exacting law in approaching him in the tabernacle worship, whereby penitence and deep repentance would be key and central. He goes on to say, for that matter, the stipulations to be fulfilled in order to approach God in the tabernacle worship essentially reveal the awesome dreadful holiness and majesty of God Almighty. Even more importantly then is the fact that God's gracious desire and merciful desire to draw mankind close to himself should not in any way be misconstrued in any way to diminish his purity and his righteousness and the, and, and the righteousness next requirements of God upon the church. This is very powerful, beloved people. He says, even more importantly, huh? more importantly, more significantly, then is the fact that God's gracious desire to draw us to himself, to draw mankind close to him, should not in any way, should never in any way diminish his purity and his righteousness. Hence the role of repentance and penitence are sacrifice. He's saying, when God said, I want to draw you to myself, I want to forget about the sins of the church, never did that intend to mean that it would now diminish the holiness of God. Now God is not holy. He has now drawn us to himself in our sin. That's okay. So the price Jesus paid on the cross is useless. Let's just go with sin before the Lord. Not at all. He said that's why he sent his own son to die on the cross to help us with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we may now be holy, and with even our lifestyle, 
that when anyone looks at the life of the Christian believer, he sees a holy intent, a righteous intent. You see that the intention is righteous. The intention is holy. And so never intended to diminish the holiness of the Lord. Because that worship, really, of the tabernacle, essentially delivered the awesome, dreadful holiness and the majesty of the Lord. You can tell even at the tabernacle on the mountain, when he set up a tabernacle on Mount Sinai, when he came down and set up a tabernacle of worship up there, then he said, tell them not to touch the foot of the tree, the foot of the mountain, rather. Why? Because it was holy ground, and you now needed a mediator, the Messiah, to admit you there, but not to come and ratify and endorse sin. Jesus never came to endorse this thing you see in the current church all over the United States of America and all over Europe, where homosexuality, what, what, all this nudity and prosperity preaching of America without holiness, it's as though they are saying, and you know people are nude and the cameras of course are recording them, so the Muslims, the Hindus are watching and saying, what kind of worship is this? These people are worshiping an idol, worshiping an, an idol God. They worship an unholy God, a God that is unholy. Because you find women dressed in immoral and they are being recorded on camera and transmitted globally, putting Christ to shame and subjecting him public disgrace, disgrace and crucifying him once again, all over again. Shaming Jesus and doing the, 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 the gains of the cross. He says, no, that is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people, the, the design of God was that when people are drawn to him, they should be able to appreciate his holiness, his righteousness. And you can see their effort towards righteousness and how the Holy Spirit is helping them to achieve, to score those milestones. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, beloved people down here, so penitence, he, talk, he says, therefore, repentance and penitence is central in that worship experience at the tabernacle, and hence the lesson to the present-day worship experience. And then he goes on, beloved people, to say, for that matter then, the tabernacle with all its respective elements, including the articles of worship, were all deliberately ordered by God Yahweh himself, arranged by God Yahweh himself, in order to deliver a most important message to the present-day church. He says the message underscored here in the tabernacle worship is with regards to God's worship pattern during the dispensation of the grace. Meaning there is a worship pattern. I just read for you Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, on how the Lord designed unto us the worship pattern with which we should worship the grace. That you worship, but you cannot abuse the grace. It's just like the Holy Spirit. He is part of our worship pattern. He says, just worship the Holy Spirit, but you can never grieve Him. You can never blaspheme Him. Because then you cannot be forgiven. So that is God's pattern, His set pattern. He says, for instance, the fact that the tabernacle could be moved from place to place simply denoted and pointed to the fact that God intended mankind to carry the worship of Jehovah, His worship relationship with man, he intended that mankind carry the worship relationship they have with Jehovah all the time, everywhere, for as long as they are alive on this earth. 
But what do you see in the present-day church? On Monday, she's dressed nude. And when the pastor calls her, says, well, uh, I, I was in town today. Are we able to meet? Yes, I was in town today. Yes. Are we able to meet? Is your husband around so we can continue that counseling during lunch break? Because today I'm in town. Said, no, 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 no. I'm not able to meet you. Because now on Monday, she's not born again. She's ashamed to be seen by her pastor in the way she has dressed at workplace. Her dressing. So they are born again. Only on Sunday, in which they also come and born again, dressed like, you know, the world. And then, on Monday and the rest of the days, the Christ is not there. They are undercover Christians. They are Christians that are undercover at workplace. They don't say to people, look, I'm born again, beloved people. They want to hide it so that they may get certain wicked, sinful desires propagated, perpetuated there. And then going to sin and be promoted or whatever, or have the favor of the boss, or whatever it is their gains are in the immoral world. And yet here he's saying that the Lord designed that the tabernacle in the wilderness be mobile, be movable. It can move. It was moving with them wherever they went. They, they went, meaning he intended that the worship relationship he had now crafted between himself and mankind be carried by mankind, taken by mankind. Everywhere, wherever they went, whichever the place. You can see other religions are doing that. Other religions, they even build their worship centers along the highway. Eh? You find that sometimes in, in the aircraft, you know. One day I was in a flight from Manaus to Sao Paulo. And right in front of me, it was amazing. There was this Jewish couple that was seated in the same aircraft with me. And up there, about 37,000 feet, and you see, he was not eating the same food that was being given in the plane. He was eating kosher food. And then when the time for worship came, it's amazing, he stood up, and he began to tie those things on his head and the arm, and then he, 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 looked, he looked at uh, someone that was sitting next to him, I mean, on the other side of the aisle, because he was with the whole family on this side, and then he said, come, come, let's worship. He began to tie those things. And right in front of the aircraft, right there, all people are watching him. He began to bow down and worship right there. That is so tremendous, beloved people. That is very shocking. And they are supposed to recognize Christ. They have not yet received him and recognized him. And still they are operating according to the original instruction. And for us, we have the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus. We have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, how much more then should we be worshipping Christ Jesus, Jehovah Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit everywhere, all the time, wherever we go, for as long as we live on this earth? How much more then? I thought that was a big indictment to the church. He was saying, in other words, in that plane, that uh, Hebrew guy, he was saying, all these people don't matter to me. Public opinion doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is to fear my God, Jehovah. They were doing it then. Then I kept saying, wow. And they have not yet even been opened. Their eyes have not opened to see the Messiah. And they are doing it this way. How much more when they find the Messiah? How much more? That is what he's saying here. The lessons we learn from tabernacle worship to underscore righteousness. And this article is on the garment. Don't forget that. It's on the garment of righteousness. So it's coming up ahead of us here. This part is still an introduction. He says, moreover... 
the fact that there was only one door to the tabernacle greatly underscored and alluded and foretold of Christ Jesus the Lord, the Messiah, who would come and would be the only door for mankind to access worshipping Jehovah. Very powerful. And he says, reference should primarily, reference should be primarily focused on the Lord's command that was handed down to Moses as to achieve that glorious worship and how he faithfully implemented it to achieve the prescribed garment of worship. He says to this present day church, for instance, it is important to underscore here that the twisted effort, effort made of gold, purple, blue, again, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the, sh- the sash, and the fashioned breastplate mounted with four rows of precious stones containing ruby, topaz, beryl, turquoise, sapphire, and emerald, all point at the intricate spiritual design that the Holy Spirit should bring into the garment of righteousness that the present-day church ought to be wearing at this hour. That is very powerful. It says the embroidery of the garment, rather before the embroidery, it says the adornment and the specifications of the garment that you saw the priests wear to fulfill righteousness, to go before the Lord in the tabernacle worship. They speak volumes to this generation and this church. It says, the twisted effort made of gold, pure gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, the sash, the fashioned breastplate mounted with four rows of precious stones containing ruby, topaz, beryl, turquoise, sapphire, and emeralds, all point this present-day church to the intricate spiritual design of the Holy Spirit that was meant to bring the, the, the intricate design the Holy Spirit was meant to deliver, actually, into the righteousness of the present-day church. What does he mean there? Let me open it up now. He says, it is a spiritual crescendo that was meant to be struck, and it was meant to exude the fragrance of holiness in the church's worship. Listen to this now. He says, while the garment finishing, such as the embroideries and the engraving, also made their special contribution to the tabernacle worship. Comma, he says, today, however, all this translates to the significance that every little aspect of our daily life delivers and contributes to the perfecting of our worship unto the Lord. So this is a very powerful thing, beloved people, because he's saying that much as those little items, the twisted effort, Blue, purple, gold, scarlet yarn, the sash, the fashion breastplate mounted with stones, precious stones like, you know, ro- ruby, topaz, beryl, sapphire, sapphire, emeralds. He says they pointed at the intricate spiritual design of the Holy Spirit and how he had intended to deliver that intricacy of worship into the present day worship experience in the church. And he says very clear here that was supposed to strike a crescendo. And it was meant in such a way to bring a message. For example, the embroidery, he says, and the engravings of the garments that Aaron wore. They were meant 
in a special way to make contributions to the tabernacle worship. And in this present life, they are translated as the significance and the contribution of every little aspect of our daily life as they contribute to the perfecting of our righteous worship before the Lord. Meaning, you cannot now blend it with other things. Every little piece of your lifestyle is meant to contribute to this righteousness, this worshiping of the Lord in righteousness. And the Holy Spirit is the facilitator, beloved people. He says, what we think, what we eat, the schemes of our heart, the contemplations of our mind, how we dress, the friends we hang out with, are just but a few spiritual embroideries that go a long way to perfection the garment of righteousness in the hearts of the Christian believers. Hmm? So all these contribute, beloved people. You can't say my Sunday church is what I depend on. All these other days I do what I want. No! He's saying, no, it's not possible here. When he's shouting righteousness, 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 it is wholesome. It is the totality of your Christian worship, Christian lifestyle, Christian life, as it delivers your worship before the Lord. And he says, by looking at how today's church has ignored the role of the Holy Spirit in her daily life and worship, one wonders why she has not yet comprehended that a Christian lifestyle without the leadership and the lordship of the Holy Spirit cannot lead to the glorious kingdom of God. How? Why are they going out there like that? Why are they preaching the way they're preaching without bringing righteousness to the church? Without the pre- preparing the nation, the church, for the coming of the Messiah? Without centering righteousness? He says, considering the level of craftsmanship and actionship and refinedness that the Lord is specifying regarding the glorious garment for the coming of the Messiah, then one wonders why the minds of the present-day pastors have not been kindled, or at least rekindled, to the supernatural being of the Holy Spirit as the only way out, out of this apostasy, beloved people. He says, finest linen, bright and clean, was given at where? He says now, when he says that finest linen, bright and clean, only the Holy Spirit can design that garment. And that garment is designed in the design of the cross. Then he says, the fineness of the artisanship, of the refinement, of the workmanship, of the skillfulness required to design and to, to, to build that garment can only resound a warning to the present day pastor that surely, 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 you must, you will need the supernatural being, the lordship of the Holy Spirit as your only out. And he says further on, in the Lord's specifications of the garment, it is the finest, glorious garment of holiness that is totally untenable outside the realm of the Holy Spirit. And he says, owing to the excellence of the accomplishment that Jesus achieved for the church on the cross, again, that Jesus achieved on the cross and delivered to the church, God most high has prescribed forth for his bride the perfect, glorious raiment that is without blemish, 
And since the Messiah himself is a perfect man without blemish, that is how he terminates that article. He says, owing to the perfect work Jesus did on the cross, when he gave us the grace, it was a perfect grace. When he gave us the grace, it was perfect in all things. Perfect in its nature. That grace of God in Christ Jesus is perfect in its authority and power to deliver us from sin and to help us through the Holy Spirit perpetually until we become perfect brides and defeat the perfectness of the work he did on the cross and defeat the perfectness of my Father in heaven, my sender, the perfectness of the glorious kingdom of heaven. So, beloved people, this righteousness the Lord speaks about is meant to have been the receiving of the whole, the receiving of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then the receiving of the Lordship of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit working in the heart and lives and souls of the Christian believers, perpetually, consistently, and constantly purging of sin, cleaning of sin, purifying them, making them radiant, that he may now finally achieve the conformation to reconform their soul away from the sinful desires of flesh, away from the affections of the flesh that are sinful, but to reconform the flesh of the Christian believer back to the image and the likeness of God. May the Lord bless you. May you be righteous, beloved people. The Messiah is coming. And for him to resound righteousness, righteousness. Tell it to everybody. For five hours this night, I am sure you are all aware that there must be a hidden, concealed message that I am not giving you. He must be saying that surely the Messiah is about to come. May the Lord bless you. Shalom to Darabah. Erev Tov Lachem. Toda, toda.